Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com. They say every dog has its day, but when you're Lulu and your parents drive a Camry, every day is your day. The roomy rear seat is the perfect, whoa, is that the dog park? Backseat besties, it's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota, let's go places. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Everybody, it is your man MG Marcus Grant. Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Live podcast. Joined behind the glass by producer Christina. Christina, how you doing? Great. How are you? Doing well. Uh, good weekend, I presume. Pretty good weekend. Too always short. Good. Oh, always too short. Always too short. But uh, we were into training camp, and uh, there's plenty to talk about. So, first off, I should probably address the uh, the elephant in the room. Uh, this is a podcast in transition. Uh, for a number of years, we had a very good group of guys here, and we did a lot of really good stuff and a lot of really fun stuff. Uh, but as all good things in life do, they have an expiration date. And so uh, those other four guys have all scattered to the winds and are all going to do good and awful and awful, not awful, awesome things uh, wherever they are. Uh, I love them. I'm going to miss him. I wish him the best of luck. But life moves on, and so do we. So it's going to be a little bit of a different podcast, maybe a little more stripped down, streamlined than uh, what you have been used to. Uh, hopefully, over the next uh, weeks and months and you know, maybe even years, uh, you will hear some familiar voices. Uh, you'll hopefully hear some new voices. And uh, it's a show that uh, I hope retains the spirit of the one that uh, you all fell in love with, uh, you know, however or whenever you did. Uh, hopefully I, I continue to do it justice, and uh, hopefully you enjoy listening to it. So that's it. Uh, things to look out for today. We have a guest coming on, uh, Jake Seeley of Roto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network. will join me a little bit later, but uh, plenty to talk about. In fact, we're going to start it with all the news you need to know. All right, we will start in Buffalo. Josh Allen is taking first team reps in Bills camp. The number seven overall pick actually started camp as the team's third quarterback, but that didn't last very long. It was just on Friday that he started working with the ones. Now, head coach Sean McDermott says the competition is open for the quarterback spot. They've got Nathan Peterman. They've got A.J. McCarron as the other quarterbacks in camp, but 
whoever ends up winning that job, the thing that you're going to want to look at is the wide receiving core. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin is ostensibly the wide receiver one in that offense. Last year, split time between Carolina and Buffalo. 48 catches, just under 700 yards, and three touchdowns right now in ADP of 123. That's in 12-team PPR leagues. Coming off the board late in the 10th round on average there. Next up is Zay Jones, who led the Bills receivers in targets last year with 74, but had just 27 catches, 36.5% catch rate. That's ungood. Anyways, currently on the non-football injury list after shoulder and knee surgeries in the offseason. Was seen running sprints on Sunday per Joe Biscaglia of WKBW, but right now Jones is undrafted in plenty of fantasy leagues. Bills added Jeremy Curley in free agency. Played with the Jets last year, just 22 catches, 217 yards, and a touchdown. Played only eight games, actually served a four-game suspension for performance-enhancing drugs, and then was summarily released. Uh, after that suspension was over. So you want to know who the Bills' leader in targets and receptions was? Yeah, that's right. It was LaShawn McCoy. He was second on the team in receiving yards as well. 59 catches, 448 yards, two touchdowns. That came on 77 targets. So there's not a whole lot to be excited about in the Bills' wide receiving group, which means that whoever wins that starting quarterback job, whether it's Josh Allen or it's Peterman or McCarron, not a lot to be excited about there. In fact, making things even worse the Bills will face three top ten defenses from last year to start the season. On the road at Baltimore, at home to the Chargers, who did lose uh, Jason Verrett to an Achilles injury, and then they go on the road to the Vikings. So nothing there very optimistic for the Buffalo Bills. More quarterback news. Steve Wilkes says the Cardinals' starting quarterback job is Sam Bradford's to lose. Bradford signed a two-year $40 million deal in March with $15 million guaranteed. And six weeks later, the Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen number 10 overall. So how do you like them apples? But per Wilkes, the current depth chart is Sam Bradford at the top. Mike Glennon, who signed a two-year $8 million deal in the number two spot currently. And then Josh Rosen third on that depth chart. Wilkes did say, I don't waver that Sam is our starter. It's his job to lose. But also Steve Wilkes. Competition across the board makes you better, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I want Josh with the mentality to start. I mean, for his part, our own Steve Weish said, Bradford will open the camp as starter. That does not mean he will finish camp as the starter. So, you know, Josh Rosen, who came into the draft or was drafted and had a huge chip on his shoulder, maybe he's still got that chip on his shoulder because he's behind Mike Glennon on the depth chart. But uh, Bradford, uh, Rosen, either way, uh, still about David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald in that uh, Cardinals offense. Stop me if you heard this one. Tyler Eifert's not completely healthy. Uh, the Bengals announced that Eifert will begin training camp on the PUP list because of some back issues. Now, there's not a lot to freak out about right now because players that go on the PUP list before training camp can come off at any time. Eifert tweeted last week that he's feeling great, but, I mean, let's look at the facts. He's never played 16 games in any of his five NFL seasons. He's played eight or fewer games in three of five years and just ten combined in the last two seasons. But obviously you guys still believe in the talent. ADP of 157, 13th round. I know it's not necessarily a big deal, but he's still coming off the board. People still believe that you know, when he's healthy, it's true. When he is healthy, he is a monster. He's a playmaker. You just sort of have to bake in the fact that he may not be there for long stretches of the season. More running back news. Elijah McGuire is out with a fractured foot. He's going to have surgery on that. They expect that he will miss the next three to six weeks. Now, looking back at last year, none of McGuire's numbers were all that eye-popping. 315 rushing yards, 177 receiving yards, had a pair of touchdowns. But he was expected to have a larger role this season. I mean, Jets 
Running back coach Stump Mitchell compared him to Ladanian Tomlinson. Er, wait, hold on. Slow down, Turbo. We're not we're not doing this. We're not comparing Elijah McGuire to to Ladanian Tomlinson. Not yet, at least. In the meantime, the Jets are bringing in other running backs to visit. Alfred Morris and Orlean Dockwa are uh, set to come visit the team. Uh, Bilal Powell, though, with McGuire out, looks like the solid number two running back behind Isaiah Crowell in New York. Now, they do have Thomas Rawls and sixth-round pick Trenton Cannon on the roster, but uh, right now the two at the top look like they're going to be Crowell and Powell. Should we call them Crowell and Powell? I think that, sh that should be what we call them this year, you know, just call them Crowell and Powell or Crowell and Powell. I don't know, something like that. We should do something fun, some alliteration, make it fun. But anyway, with Elijah McGuire out, those are the two top guys on the Jets' depth chart at running back. More training camp scuttlebutt. Some things out of Denver. Demarius Thomas uh, is lining up everywhere, including at a flanker spot. That is according to Lindsey Jones of USA Today. This could be a new wrinkle in the Broncos' offense. Bill Musgrave is going to have his first full season as the team's offensive coordinator. He took over last year when Mike McCoy was fired in November. But Musgrave may be trying to do some new things. I mean, Thomas was... Pretty much out wide almost exclusively. 86% of his snaps last season came from a wide spot. Moving to the backfield, though, this also from Lindsey Jones. The running back job for the Broncos is apparently totally wide open. And that could come as news to some fantasy drafters because you look at the difference right now between Royce Freeman and Devontae Booker. Freeman coming off the board late fifth round in most PPR leagues. Devontae Booker waiting until late in the 11th round before he's coming off the board, an ADP of about 136. D'Angelo Henderson, who's also rotating in right now, is going undrafted in pretty much every league. Uh, other running back news coming to the West Coast. Matt Breda is reportedly the best running back on the roster for the San Francisco 49ers. That is according to Grant Cohn of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat. So this could bump up Breda's ADP right now sitting at 162. He's kind of considered maybe more the handcuff to Jarek McKinnon, who apparently has been looking good, has, quote, moves and looks like a wide receiver in camp. And then there's Joe Williams, who has been called the best skill position player on the field. At least that was for day three of training camp for the 49ers. But if Breda really is running hard and effectively, maybe this means he has a little bit of a bigger role which means he can go from a handcuff to possibly a late-round guy you can stash and maybe use as a flex option in some of your deeper leagues. You know, we've talked, I know, about handcuffs and the value of them, and it may be something we uh, talked to Jake Seeley about as well a little bit later in the show. Uh, finally, Mike Gesicki working with the first team at Dolphins Camp. This uh, reported by Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald. Gesicki, a second-round pick out of Penn State, and so far, he's kind of been as advertised. Caught a couple of touchdown passes one day in camp. Still trying to find his way as a blocker in blitz pickup. But the Dolphins seem very encouraged by what they've seen out of him so far in camp, which could be good for him getting on the field. Right now, Miami with six tight ends currently on their roster. But of them all, Gasicki is the one with the largest upside. And you know, it's still early, but it's not out of the question that he is the starter to begin the season. So that pretty much everything you need to know. Well, that was the news. All right. That moves us on to the curious case of Des Bryant. Of course, Bryant in the headlines over the weekend for, you know, all manners of things. But after eight seasons, 531 catches, nearly 7,500 receiving yards, and 73 touchdowns. Cowboys decided to release Des Bryant. And Des, well, he wasn't so happy about it. 
like I said, I I'm not trying to call anybody out, but at the same time, you know, this situation was very unfair to me, and I'll put it that way. It was, it was an unfair situation, you know, because you know, if they did want to, you know, get rid of me, they could have told me that, you know, they could have told me that. And I would have respected that, just like I told Jerry in the meeting, you know. I respect his decision. And to be surprised, <laughs> you know, I told him that I was surprised that I'm very unbothered. <laughs> like, you know, the way that I feel about the decision, you know, is just, I don't know, man. Um, it is. It's a new chapter for me. First thing, when you say you're not trying to call anybody out, we totally know you're trying to call somebody out. Second thing, that new chapter hasn't started yet since Brian's been waiting for a phone call from a new team. I mean, unless you count Dez's recent feud with his former teammates as a new chapter. Pro tip, please don't count it as a new chapter. Actually, you're probably better off not thinking about it at all. Anyway, while it's mostly been all quiet on the Destern front for most of the summer, things have started to pick up. Most notably, reports of Dez and the Browns are maybe trying to set a meetup together. So, for the sake of argument, let's say Dez does land in Cleveland. How does he fit there? When I look at his game compared to Josh Gordon's, I do believe there's some similarities. So if they are looking for a bigger guy, a size guy, someone who can be physical on the outside, he can do that. Now, he's not in his prime. He hasn't been that dominant player that we saw for a couple years in Dallas. But when you look at the talent that the Browns have without Josh Gordon, they need another playmaker. Maybe he can own that role as a second receiver behind Jarvis Lane. Thank you, NFL Network's Bucky Brooks. Okay, so Dez could be Cleveland's number two receiver behind Jarvis Landry. I mean, that makes plenty of sense if Josh Gordon isn't there. But what about if Gordon is there? Look, I get it. Men lie. Women lie. Football teams lie. And Gordon's history gives plenty of people plenty of reason to fear the worst. But I'm willing to take it at face value that Gordon just needs some time away to get his head right. And based on his fourth-round ADP, plenty of you seem to feel the same way. It's a weird thing to say, but the Cleveland Browns are loaded at receiver. In fact, it's such a weird thing to say. I'm just going to let Josh Gordon say it for me. I think we're the best receiver core in the league, in my opinion, um, already, just based off of talent alone. You know, so you put in a playbook and some guys that are hungry enough to go do it, and, you know, hopefully we go out there and, sh and show and prove that. Oh, he um, makes a pretty strong argument there. Wait, wait, did uh, did you have something to add as well, Jarvis Landry? I think that, you know, guys that are extremely talented and work hard and, you know, they put it together each and every day they come out here and have the confidence to know that, you know, you know, if we all uh, play to our ability, you know, we're going to be unstoppable. All right. So you hear it from the mouths of the Browns receivers there. But assuming Gordon is back for week one, I mean, obviously there goes one outside receiver spot. Dez could move to the other side, but that doesn't seem like a really great idea for a wide receiver who appears to be easing out of his prime and was never a great route runner to begin with. Then there's also the issue of Corey Coleman, who played 95% of his snaps on the outside last year, though it seems like the Browns are sort of dubious about him right now, so maybe that might not be as much of an issue. Obviously, the slot isn't really in play with Landry expected to suck up all the snaps there. Oh, yeah, and then... There's Duke Johnson and whatever the hell position he plays. I mean, whatever that position is, it allowed him to soak up a team-high 93 targets last year. But with everything going on in this year's offense, that's probably not going to happen again. However, it begs the question, how many targets could Dez have in the Browns' offense? Assuming Gordon and Landry combine for somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 targets, and even after you factor in some regression, you toss another 75 toward Duke Johnson – how many are left for everyone else? Like 150? 200? 
when you're talking about Tyrod Taylor, who's never thrown the ball 450 times in a season in his career. Last year, the Browns tallied 574 pass attempts, ninth most in the league. Much of that out of necessity. I mean, that's what happens when you go 0-16. That number should come down this year, partially because Cleveland is likely to lean on Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb to run the ball a little bit more. Also, because this Browns team should be better than last year's edition, and hopefully that means a few positive second-half game scripts. I mean, that alone could decrease the size of the pie left to go around. And Look, I haven't even mentioned David Njoku, who had 60 targets as a rookie. Optimistically speaking, I mean, I could see Dez with around 80 targets or so in this Browns offense. That, though, is the fewest he would have had since 2015 when he played just nine games because of his foot injury. That's not all that exciting. So if we eventually learn that Josh Gordon's going to miss the start of the season, I'll change my tune. But until then, I'm a hard pass on Des Bryant with the Browns. So I said at the top of the show that uh, as we are transitioning this podcast, you will hear some familiar voices. You will hear some new voices. My guest is a voice that some of you are probably very familiar with. If you're not, it's time for you to get acquainted with him. It is Jake Seeley. You can find him on Twitter at AllInKid. You can also find his work over at Roto Experts. He's at the Fantasy Sports Network, has his own award-winning podcast called On Target. He is also my pal and a fellow crusader in the battle against PPR scoring. Jake, what's up, man? (laughs) Oh, not too much. You also, I thought you were going to say a fellow crusader and the goodness of watching Voltron. <laughs> also that. Also that. Yeah, we should actually get to that a little bit later on. I will, uh, we'll get to that. But I did want to talk to you about some of the stuff you've been writing over, over at Roto Experts. One of the things you, you wrote about, the, the big four quarterback changes and how that impacts some new teams, uh, the new teams that they are on this year. The one that jumped out at me was Case Keenum, who obviously had a fantastic year last year, kind of came out of nowhere, did some really nice things, ends up in Denver now, and on paper certainly seems to be an upgrade over what they had last year, but I, I have some hesitation. I mean, is do you think Case Keenum is a one-year wonder, or can he actually inject some life back into Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders? So I think the second part of that question is, Anybody can eject life compared to what they've been dealing with with quarterback. And that goes back to Peyton Manning's last season. Let's not forget that Peyton Manning's last season was not a good season. He got pulled for Trevor Simeon. So I'm looking at this, and any capable quarterback is going to be an upgrade. But I think that what you're referring to in the jump here is, did Case Keenum learn enough from Pat Shermer? it's It's the cliche, teach a man to fish type. Did he learn to fish? Because if it's not just being under Shermer, with the play calls, and it is the fact that he learned and developed in his own right from Shermer, I think that we're looking at Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders jumping back and being terrific values right now in drafts as Demarius Thomas can get back into that top 15 conversation, Emmanuel Sanders back into that top 25, and you're thrilled with both of them because looking at it, he ranked among the best in the league in targeting his wideouts and tight ends, which isn't a surprise, especially with the tight end situation. But we're talking about ranking fourth and first. And when you talk about the league average, what he's doing also with those yards for a target and everything like that, he was above average there as well. So you look at Case Keenum and you say, you know what? Yes, that was the best we've ever seen from him. Yes, nobody expected that. And maybe some of it is Shermer. But even if he's 90% of what he was last year, that's still probably a, what, 200% upgrade over the miserable <laughs> situation that they had last year? I mean, you might be right. Now, I know seeing some reports over the weekend, they're moving Demarius Thomas all over the formation, which seems to be the new thing with wide receivers, especially with veteran wide receivers now getting them out of their, their comfort zone a little bit. I mean, do, do you have a feeling this makes a difference with what that offense is going to do? 
No, I don't, because the interesting thing is, so when I was digging into Case Keenum, what I found out is I think there's a perception out there that Emmanuel Sanders works the slot a lot, and that actually is not true. The, the, the fact is, is the Broncos, when running three wide, which don't do very often, but in the slot situation, it's never those two. It's most, I think it was 13% or something like that. I mean, it was actually even less than Demarius Thomas at times. So the fact that they're moving out Demarius Thomas around it's a good thing. We've seen it with Larry Fitzgerald becoming a purely slot receiver towards the end of his career. Now we see other teams, as you said, doing the same thing, trying to find those uh, advantage situations. Des Bryant, if he does sign somewhere, they're talking about that he probably needs to run out of the slot more. Jordy Nelson, we saw with the Packers, although the fact is he looks completely toast. All that being said is you know what you're getting. You're getting better matchups because you're getting lesser talent. But even when you face the top end, slot corners of the league you're initially given that buffer that you don't see on the outside because of the routes because of the separation that you're built into that position so I think no matter what they do I'm excited for both and I think moving to Marius Thomas is only a good thing I think they should implement a little bit more of Thomas and Sanders out of the slot than they have the past two years uh, elsewhere, you wrote about Tyrod Taylor. You, you mentioned that he targets the slot just 22% of the time. That is not a big number at all. Uh, our buddy TJ Hernandez at, at 4 for 4 tweeted uh, last week that Taylor doesn't throw the ball over the middle very much. Uh, you know, look, I, I'm, I don't want to be worried about Jarvis Landry, but when people keep writing stuff like this, it makes me think I should be worried about Jarvis Landry. Am I, am I thinking too hard about this? No, I've been worried about Jarvis Landry this entire time. And for the fact that Tyra Taylor on top of it as well is I included the A dot was deeper than Jay Cutler's last year for people that think that Tyra Taylor is just this check down guy. And then you threw out that you said Hernandez's numbers and all that type of stuff. He's not. It's just a perception because he's a very accurate passer. He's I would call him more of a game manager than an aggressive passer because he's not throwing the ball 550 times a year. That's just not who Tyrod Taylor is. But because of that, and as you mentioned with the slot and the usage there, if you also look at Jarvis Landry's career, and I broke it down for the last four seasons, he is a one-to-one-to-one, as in the targets he gets or the receptions he gets is the fancy production he gets. And if you look at it, non-PPR, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, and 1.3 in PPR points, or non-PPR points per target. PPR was 1.7, 1.6, 1.8, 1.6 very flat he's the same guy if he even drops 20 25 targets from last year it's going to be a direct correlation to where he falls back and that's just if he drops in targets because of the offense of Tyrod Taylor not throwing the ball as much now you add in that next level as you're saying with Tyrod Taylor's usage of his slot receivers I think that's why we've heard some whispers of Jarvis Landry moving outside more which he only spent I think it was I think you've probably seen the number two is 60 65 percent of the time in the Mm -hmm. slot last year so he's outside more than people think but I am concerned about Jarvis Landry. On the flip side, Marcus, and I'm sure it's the same for you, if Josh Gordon does end up not playing, I think we can throw that out the window. No, absolutely. I mean, so much of this right now kind of banks on, on Josh Gordon. I, I still I, I keep still holding on to the fact that I think I think this is you know, I'm taking it at face value. I think I think Josh Gordon just needs a break, just the time to get himself ready. I don't think there's anything serious. I'm I'm willing to believe the Browns on this one. So I think I think Gordon's gonna be there. Uh, and it's not going to have a major impact, uh, you know, on, on what Jarvis Landry and those guys do. Uh, talking to Jake Seeley from Roto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network, um, you back in early May wrote about Royce Freeman and Ronald Jones. And at the time, you had Royce Freeman ahead of Rojo in this one. Obviously, now that we're into camp, are you still feeling that way? 
Less so because of the usage, uh, but I am still I'm a fan of both. And the breakdown of this article really came down to trying to explain the projections process and explain why Royce Freeman had it was narrowly. I think it was one or two spots at the time was beating out Ronald Jones. And it came down to touchdowns. And I, we know this. It's, it's very difficult to predict touchdowns in fantasy football. And if you try to only do so, it's a fool's errand, honestly. But what I did in this article, and it, this is just a good picture for all situations, not just Freeman versus Jones, is looking at the usage. And this is what we do as a fantasy community, as analysts, and do is look at the usage of what the team does inside the 20, inside the 10, inside the five, and then look at their effective rate of how many times are they scoring on those touches? Are they passing more than they're rushing? And what I dove into and found is we already kind of knew as much as we've watched football. And like, like I said at the top of the article was, I felt by watching enough of the Buccaneers, they weren't very good inside the red zone and running the ball. And digging into this, I found out that's exactly true. And the majority of their success actually was Winston anyway. So when you pull out Winston, it gets even worse. So despite the fact that I had Freeman and Jones with around the same amount of yards total, the touchdown had a bigger gap of almost three because despite the fact the Broncos also struggled last year, there are reasons for that, including they started four different guys on the right side of the offensive line they made a trade on the offensive line this past season a belt here so there are reasons to expect them to get better especially with somebody who can pound the ball like freeman does who i know that you're a fan of too so it's still neck and neck for me but it comes down to the fact well ronald jones might have more yards the, the touchdowns are more likely to come because of the style of their offenses and freeman's ability himself yeah i mean i I, I like Royce Freeman. I don't think I ever jumped on the way a lot of other fantasy analysts have. I know there was a big Freeman bandwagon. And I, I was sort of hesitant, which sort of leads me to my next, my next question, is that do you see him just kind of grabbing hold of the starting gig in the backfield, or do you think we're going to end up with some sort of committee with Devontae Booker? See, I think this could turn out a lot like the Titans version of their – well, their version of Derrick Henry and Dean Lewis, where – Booker might, I, I'm, as of today, I still think Freeman's going to be the lead. And I still think Freeman is going to lead in yards and lead in production, lead on first and second down, lead in a short yard. I mean, that's just, you bring in that kind of guy, and that's what he's there for. He's to be the lead option, Devontae Booker, to be the complement and the pass-catching option. And as we're talking today, it's training camp, so there's news flying around everywhere. And first-team snaps, people still think mean something at this point. So <laughs> everything's like, oh, Booker's getting all this work. All this. Well, you know what? Would it surprise me if Booker forces this to be a 50-50 situation? Absolutely not, because I like Booker's talent coming out of college. You can go back and read my write-up of him. He was inside my top five running backs that year. I also like Freeman a lot, and I like Freeman's power. I think they complement each other very well, and that's why I say I could see this being a Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis type of situation where they're used in similar roles. And if we got to the end of the season, you told me that Devontae Booker has more production, but Royce Freeman ended up with more touches. It wouldn't surprise me. I still think Freeman's got more to offer than Derrick Henry, especially in the passing game. But that's where I lean as of today. I think this is one of those situations where I will probably not get any of Royce Freeman and get a lot of Booker because he's going so much cheaper right now. Which, which rookie running back non-Saquon division are you most hyped about this year? <laughs> So if you just told me rankings-wise, it'd be Darius Geis number two. Mm -hmm. But as in the person that I'm going to apparently die on the hill with and I've planted <laughs> my flag in and every cliche you can throw out, it's Rashad Penny. I was going into the draft, I said Rashad Penny was going to be this year's Kareem Hunt because I was expecting him 
to get overlooked by NFL teams, too. And then Seattle surprised me. The Seahawks jumped up into the first round. I said, oh, wow, somebody's respecting this dude as much as I am. And you look at Rashad Penny, and I said during this draft, I said, elusive is his middle name. This guy knows how to get out of any potential threatening tackle situation. I think he had, if I'm not mistaken, he was either number one or number two, most broken tackles at the, at the level in college last year. And that's pretty easy to do when you're putting up over 2,000 yards. But you just also, and I think you'll understand this, and that the, the people listening are smart that will understand this, is when I say he can, knows how to find the end zone, mm-hmm. well, you know, players know where the end zone is. But just that, <laughs> that extra, it's, it's hard. You know what it is. It's, you watch football, and it's not really anything you can measure when you could just say this guy knows how to get, you know, turn a play into 20, 40 yards and get to the end zone and score. And then uh, the thing about Rashad Petty, too, is a lot of people are saying, well, what about his pass blocking? It's not very good. But if you look at it, we didn't have a very good sample of him in college. There wasn't a huge amount of plays where, like, because you look at the offense he's coming from, it's not like he was used in pass blocking every single drive down the field. And now we hear Schottenheimer coming out and saying he's an excellent pass blocking. So, I think Rashad Pay is going to surprise a lot of people. I have been taking him as early as the third round. You're not worried about Chris Carson, huh? No, you know what? It's funny you say that. I say funny, but everybody has got revisionist history on Chris Carson. <laughs> the, guy, the guy had one good game. Look at, look at the four games he played. He had one good game. But because that backfield was so miserable, people are like, oh, yeah, Chris Carson was amazing. No, he had one good game. And, and credit to him. It was a good game. It was. But the other three games were meh. He scored a touchdown on one of them, so maybe that's why it skews a little bit for fantasy-wise. It looks like he has two good fantasy games. Chris Carson was almost undrafted. You don't have a team go invest first-round capital to running back this day and age and not give him every opportunity to be the guy versus a seventh-round running back. Draft capital does matter to a certain degree at certain times. Talking to Jake Seeley from Roto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network. All right. Why why aren't we talking more about Ricky Seals Jones? <laughs> I don't know. And you pulled the article <laughs> that I have from May where I said Ricky Seals Jones was going to be this year's breakout tight end. I, I really don't get it. And I've been gobbling up right Ricky Seals Jones as in if I miss on the Kyle Rudolph or a Trey Burton, that kind of second tier of tight ends, and I have to end up waiting and double down on tight end and take guys later like an Njoku. The one that I've been getting a lot of is the Ricky Seals-Jones, because if you look at the way he finished last season, was great. If you look at his scenario, you know, I think there's a potential that Josh Rosen starts week one. And then you have the, uh, the narrative that rookie tight, tight ends, or not rookie quarterbacks always love tight ends. But let's just say that he doesn't. Let's say Sam Bradford somehow stays healthy. Sam Bradford has statistical backup of loving his tight ends. And granted, he's played with some really good ones, but he is very efficient, very uh, productive going to the tight end. And I look at that type of situation. If nothing else, Ricky Seals-Jones should get off to a hot start. And if you look at him size and skills-wise, he's a matchup problem. And we saw that at the end of last year. Now, do I think he's going to average that much on a yards per catch basis? Absolutely not. But if you get him more production on a game-to-game basis, and you look at this team and you say, Larry Fitzgerald, all right, who's up next? Chad Williams, maybe Christian Kirk, the rookie who they want right now behind Larry Fitzgerald. We know with David Johnson's coming out of the backfield for probably about 90 targets himself, but you know, who else is here? Bryce Butler and JJ Nelson. You can go down the line. Honestly, right now, Ricky Seals Jones, it might be their second best, if not their best red zone threat. And, and nothing changes for you. If, if Josh Rosen ends up as the starter over Sam Bradford, huh? 
I don't think so. I, Josh Rosen, to me, was the most NFL-ready quarterback of this draft class. I think there's some that have a higher ceiling, obviously, with Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, especially fantasy-wise with Lamar Jackson. But if he told me Josh Rosen was starting week one, I think you'll see the same rapport that you would. And if that's happening, that's because Josh Rosen's proven that he's ready. All right, Jake, uh, switching gears away from football. You mentioned at the top here uh, something about Voltron, and you and I are, are sort of Voltron truthers, <laughs> I guess, in this whole thing. I, I got to ask, if, there's, if there is one piece of current pop culture, movie, TV, music, whatever, that, that, that everybody needs to experience, what is it and why? I think you know the answer, and I'm going to tell you because you st- if, unless you've done something since the last time we talked, I'm going to hammer it over your head. Well, I, 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 if, I, if it's, it is what I think it is, I started it over the weekend. Okay, it is final space. Yes, because I did. <laughs> this was, I went into the show, I saw commercials for it for the longest time on TBS, because, I, I, look, admittedly today, I still watch episodes of Friends and Seinfeld. So you see the, like, the coming commercials and stuff like that. And I saw this, and I'm like, you know what? Eh, whatever, I'll check that show out. I like Futurama. I still watch that. Voltron. I still watch plenty of my own cartoons for adult-wise. And I was like, you know what? I'll give it a try. And, man, was I hooked from day one? This show took me by surprise because of the fact that it's not just hilarious. The animation is amazing. And by the way, just so you know, if you just started the episode one, by the time you get to around episode three, it really hits the stride animation-wise. Okay. Uh, but there's so much character development and emotion and depth and like the the fact it just I was surprised at how good the show is. I told I actually had Olin Rogers on the podcast because I actually connected with him on Twitter. I'm like, dude, your show is flipping awesome. I watch it on the show. <laughs> and he came on and I told him this. He said, it's probably one of the best compliments he's ever received. I said, it was like the new Avengers movie to me. It was just wow. action, entertaining. And then the emotion catches you that you weren't expecting to have watching the show. I would tell you that first episode, it packs a lot, a lot of story. It introduces you to a lot of characters. There's a lot going on in that first episode. So like I said, I, I am, uh, on episode two, so I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I appreciate the recommendation. Um, please, please do. Yeah, last thing for you, uh, what what drives you crazier right now, uh, ranking kickers or being a Mets fan? Well, so I don't have to rank kickers, so I don't do it. <laughs> I, I refuse. I have refused my entire career. You can go to my rankings, and you'll go through and scroll to the right, and when you get to defenses, it stops because there's no kickers. I don't – I refuse. <laughs> I, I will not do it. Uh, so it is a Mets fan, although – I got to tell you, uh, I've kind of boycotted the Mets now. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like, I'm not kidding. So, it's so funny you asked that, Marcus, because I went through my phone and like through my apps where it's like, save your favorites. I deleted the Mets. I was tired of looking at the updates. <laughs> I, they are off my favorites. I am done with the Mets. Uh, that's, that's, that's really funny, actually. So I, I can appreciate that. Good. Look, I, I can appreciate it. I spent a couple of years. I mean, I, I have been a 49ers fan, but there were a few years when they were really bad. I made the decision to sort of emotionally divorce myself from them because I just, I didn't want to be angry every Sunday. So I understand <laughs> this. Exactly. Like, what are you going to do? As long as the Wilpons are in power, I, I can't, you can't, get, <laughs> you can't, you can't act like if $3 million matters to you, just not as a baseball franchise, but also a baseball franchise in New York, you have no business owning a team. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know what? It gave us Bobby Bonilla Day, which is, is pretty fantastic. It's still celebrate. What, will we get to celebrate it for another 15 years still? Something like that. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Hey, great stuff, Jake, as always. Uh, be good, man, huh? Oh, uh, you do the same. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks to Jake Seeley. Of course, you can check him out at Roto Experts and on the Fantasy Sports Network. Always a a good guy to talk to. Always a good guy to follow. Make sure you are checking up on uh, what he is doing there. But 
So before we get out of here, it is time for what I like to call the BSOHL Chronicles. Please give me that beat, if you will. All right, at the start of every training camp, no matter the sport, you always guys have guys who show up. They want to show off what their training regimen was in the offseason. They always tell us about how they are in the best shape of their lives. I mean, look, it's a phenomenon that started mostly with Major League Baseball. But you know what? Why should we let baseball guys have all the fun, right? There are plenty of guys in the National Football League who claim to be, as I like to call it, hashtag BSOHL. We'll start in Arizona. David Johnson, who missed nearly all of last season with a wrist injury, says he is in the best shape of his life. Because all I did was run. And all I did was work out. You may need to be in the best shape of your life this year, David Johnson, because there's not much in that Cardinals offense, and you're going to get an extremely heavy workload. Speaking of heavy, Leonard Fournette's not quite as heavy as he was last year. The Jaguars running back says he's down to 223 or 224 pounds. That's the way he played at when he was trucking defenders at LSU. The Jaguars likely to lean on their running back a little bit more this year, so we'll see if Having a slimmer figure helps keep him healthy and fresh for the entirety of 16 games. Over to the Chargers. Okay, Mike Williams didn't exactly say he was in the best shape of his life. He talked about his back and saying that it limited him from doing some things. But he says, now my back is right, I'm healthy, and I'm feeling great. I hope so, because with no Hunter Henry, that means Mike Williams can be on the field more this year. Chargers may have to lean on him in their passing game. Finally, Ben Roethlisberger says he's in the best shape of his 15-year career. I always thought that tackling Ben Roethlisberger was sort of like tackling a building. This is probably even worse news for defenders. The question is, will they keep him healthy for an entire season? If you've seen any BSOHL examples, please tweet them at me, at Marcus G. Please include the hashtag BSOHL. So that will do it for this edition of the NFL Fantasy Live podcast. Big thanks to Jake Seeley from the... Roto Experts and Fantasy Sports Network. And of course, thanks to producer Christina as well. And always remember, may your lost column be empty, may your waiver wire be full, may the Fantasy Stronghold live forever. We'll see you on Thursday. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you pull up to game night in the all-new Camry... But it's actually bingo night. Mini golf, anyone? It's a Camry vibe. The all new, all hybrid Camry. Toyota. Let's go places. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer, like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.